Hey, it's Lois. This week on the She Loves podcast, myself and Rachel had the pleasure of sitting down with entrepreneur, author and founder of Fuck Being Humble, Steph Sword-Williams. We chat about navigating the job space during a pandemic, writing her first ever book and why self-promotion isn't a dirty word. I know a lot of people's livelihoods and careers will have been affected this year and I hope that this episode can be the self-confidence boost you need right now. Welcome, Steph, to the She Loves podcast. It's so nice to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I first heard of Fuck Being Humble from, I think you've done a collaboration with Foundation FM, and I then started following you, and I really appreciated your work and your Instagram and what you stand for. And then I joined one of your seminars that you did in, I think it was in June, because I'm currently looking for a job and it was a CV workshop and it was just so good. I've always had this like hang up about CVs and applying for jobs and you just put it in a different way that was so, it it was like, it seemed so simple, but I don't know why I'd never thought of it before. And it was very, yeah, very empowering. So I'm very happy that you've joined us here and I hope that a lot of people will be able to use your wisdom (laughs) as well. Oh, well, it's so good to hear it. Um, You always create content with the hope that it's going to have that impact on people, particularly in the professional like development space. So it's just really nice to hear that you kind of found it so beneficial and that it is something that actually stuck because (laughs) that is the main goal with everything you you create when you're setting out on these missions to try and help people. So why did you start Fuck Being Humble in the first place? So I started Foot Being Humble because I was going to a lot of networking events when I first moved to London. I worked for a startup business and I was going to networking like three to four times a week. And I was just literally like pimping myself out and the company that I worked for in non-sexual references. Um, And I basically just really noticed that it was very dominated by men on panels who were 50, uh, running their own businesses, you know, had a very like linear career path, quite privileged. And I just felt like I personally, as a 25 year old young woman in the advertising industry, didn't feel hugely represented. Um, and didn't feel like I could connect with those people because they had like another 20, 30 years on me. And I kind of felt like, how could I ever like there's a big jump to take where I'm at to your success how do I do that and I I find that with a lot of events that you go to you go to these panel events and they're really inspiring you they're so pumped in the moment then you go home you watch Love Island you do nothing with that information because there aren't actionable things that you can take from it and apply to yourself Mm -hmm. so I noticed that when I was doing networking from a professional perspective but then almost from a personal networking perspective, I was going to lots of cool exhibitions and pop-ups and um, talks that were featuring cool, young, creative people. So I kind of asked myself, why is there such a disconnect between the more, you know, traditional mainstream um, creative industry events? And why are there really cool people doing stuff on Instagram and, you know, a cool pop-up in Shoreditch, but they're not being represented and championed more publicly. So I kind of felt like if I could create a space where I almost create my own stage, one for me to talk about how I can help people and share my own experiences, but two to like celebrate and champion people who were smashing it and kind of challenging stereotypes and 
were usually under the age of 30 and were doing things like running side hustles or starting their own businesses or running three businesses at once or or actually just having a very linear career in their own industry but that people could actually connect with uh, I think I tapped into just at the right time really this peer-to-peer sharing and kind of getting over the fact we can learn from people who are the same age as us or you know from the north and not from London and I don't know I, I felt like there was probably more we could do and celebrate and talk about uh, that just felt a bit more honest and relatable um, and I think the other aspect to it was a lot of again a lot of the events that you go to don't actually help you directly with your career so it's about hearing from other people it's about you know really interesting topics around feminism or activism but it was a bit like, who's telling you how to get a pay rise? Who's telling you how to actually smash networking and convert meetings into like new business? Like nobody tells you that information, particularly as a freelancer, particularly when you're side hustling. Uh, and also even when you're in employment, because I don't know any boss that's ever sat down and said, if you want to get a pay rise and a promotion, here's everything you need to do. In fact, they do the exact opposite. So for me, it was kind of like, there was a gap in celebrating the right talent. There was a gap in peer-to-peer sharing. And there was also a gap in actually relevant information that people needed and wanted to succeed. And I think it was kind of a, a jumble of all of that together that, that grew and, and Foot Being Humble was born from. And this is the kind of thing that you wish they taught you in school. Like I wish they taught you how to ask for a pay rise or something like that, because until you actually have to do it, there's no practice for it, is this? I read definitely think there's a space for it. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the things. So I've recently written a book and on the topic of self-promotion, which was obviously all came out of growing the platform. And one of the things that I talk about as observing are the different reasons that we are so bad at self-promotion. And one of those things... And it's no critique to education systems because I know that they're doing the best and they don't always have the best funding. But we are taught how to learn and recite information about like history or geography that actually serves no purpose to us or little purpose to us as we get older in our career. So I haven't, I don't, I don't remember ever needing to know anything about plates and the way that the ground moves, you know, to, to have a career in advertising. Yeah. It's something that we got, we had to spend lots of time on. Or, you know, as much as I appreciate history, it's like learning about the Egyptians or learning how to run my own business. I kind of, you know, I know which one I'd choose now if I had the choice. So it is kind of that whole thing of, of really lacking in the learning of life skills versus learning and reciting history that, you know, pastimes that may have happened or even things like geometry, like literally haven't used a protractor since I left school. So why were we... Yeah, why? Why were we forced to do it? I barely even used one in school. Yeah, it is interesting as you say that because I think there is such a lack of funding um, in the education sector, but we're given so much pointless information as children. Like even at university, we're not given information on mortgages, like how to save for buying a house. Like this should be prioritized to an extent. And I don't ever, I do fear as kind of like a society and a generation that we're never going to embed that into our curriculum. I don't know how we can, <laughs> but I wish I'd known that all that kind of stuff at much, much younger age. Cause for example, I went freelance last year. I had no clue about taxing, <laughs> like nothing. So it would be interesting to see if the educational space does pick up on these kind of requirements. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I do, I do think even, you know, pre-mortgage chat and on taxes, it's even just the bare minimum on how to apply for jobs and how to prep for interviews that unfortunately a lot of universities don't prepare you for. So I studied fashion communication and promotion. I championed this course. It was absolutely incredible. It was at Nottingham Trent. It taught us so much. We learned about pitching, strategizing, storytelling, uh, working with people we didn't like. Every week it was like an episode of The Apprentice. Like it was intense, uh, but amazing, amazing experience. And it undoubtedly influenced and created who I am as a person. And we did have one CV writing workshop, which I reference a lot when I do my own. But other than that, there wasn't a huge amount of help on how to apply. I remember applying for grad jobs and speaking to a tutor at the time and saying, I I just don't know how to do this. And obviously in no critique of them, but they sort of said, it's not our job to get you a job. It's our job to get you a degree, which is a shame that that was the outlook and the experience that I I received. And I'm sure so many other people received. But even before we go on to talking about finances and mortgages, it's like in order for us us to even make that money, we have to get a job so that those stepping stones are missing. And, And it's a really big shame, to be honest, because like I said, I do. I'm really grateful that my course helped me with a lot of the skills that probably do help me with interviewing and do help me with negotiating. But the rest of it has been self-taught. Um, and I do think, you know, from a financing the tax side of things, absolutely, there definitely needs to be some more support. I, I don't know. I'm awful at it. My mum's actually an accountant, not necessarily in that space, but she's an accountant and she helped me with it. And when she checked my tax returns, I ticked that I was like an OAP on benefits. Uh, and just like loads of wrong things. And she was like how have you done this so wrong? And I was like, because it's so confusing. Like, because no one's ever taught me. I don't understand what those mean. I don't understand that I have to, you know, I can add all my receipts together rather than doing it one by one, which I was doing, you know, like if nobody tells you how to do it. And the problem is like everything, like self-promotion, like communication, until somebody teaches how to do do it right, we're going to continue doing it wrong. Uh, or just not at all, which is the bigger problems. And, and that's what the shame is about saving money, getting amazing jobs, public speaking, all these things that we are scared of are because we don't, have never been trained in it and we haven't been given the support and the advice on it. So, yeah, you know, if, if foot being humble is the bolt on that degrees and universities and schools should, you know, want to speak to, then I, I am absolutely here for that. And I want that to be the power and the influence that we can have because actually so many people lose out on opportunities. I, it is funny though, because I remember when I was applying for jobs abroad, they were like, oh, um, this is like what a Portuguese CV is, you know, like it's different. You've got to put your picture on and things like this. And I was thinking, I didn't even know what an English CV looked like. Like you're telling me these differences, but you never even told me the first one in the first place. I didn't have a reference point. I feel like a good CV is like finding a dream husband or wife like it's like you have no idea what it looks like because there's so much shit that flies around and people saying like this is what it should be like you should and shouldn't include this this is how your experience should look like and actually it's like nobody actually knows and there's been so many people that have messaged me and been like but a recruiter told me not to do that and I'm like look it's entirely up to you how you want to create your CV but these are the reasons why I think they'll benefit you and it could help you just that step further help be noticed or get in part of the interview process uh, but there is so much conflicting information out there and 
that was sort of why I, I created the CV workshop in the first place was to try and consolidate that down and, and make it a bit more user-friendly and, and easy to understand. Is there kind of like three maybe top tips for CVs that you could share? Absolutely. I think your personal bio, which is the opening introduction that everybody should include, it's not optional. The amount of CVs I've reviewed without it was alarming for me because for me it felt like actually it was such a fundamental part of selling myself. And then when I was doing CV reviews, I was seeing so many people didn't have them. I was like, but it's the thing that makes you different. Like without that, how are you going to have a point of difference if other people have similar experience to you? So I think the really big piece of advice I'd give on that is make sure that you don't force yourself to be too professional to the point where you lose your personality. I read so many bios that are so... Uh, I'm a hard-working, strategic, analytic, uh, performance-driven person. And we all do it. We've all done it. And I can only, I can take the piss because I have done it also. And actually, it's, it's just so repetitive. It's just what everyone else is saying. So it's really important for you to draw on different aspects of your life experience, whether that's living abroad, whether that's, you know, uh, raising money for charity, whether it's, you know, the fact that you were obsessed with your in chosen industry from the age of 11. Like, tell me those bits about you that are exciting and, and, and indicates that you're clearly the right character and you're obsessed with this industry or this job that you're going for. And I think my second tip would be with your work experience, really try and make sure that every point is different. So I see a lot of CVs where it's just like the same job title and then it's pretty much just repeated again and again. And every project, every brief, every team, everything you've ever worked on will have a point of difference. Whether you group it all together in your mind as the same thing or not, there, there will be different things that you learn, different experiences that you had, different things you had to overcome that you should talk about and you should try and use the space on your CV to show lots of different things. You know, like if you were a model, you wouldn't only ever show yourself in a floor length gown. You wouldn't. You'd show yourself in lots of different outfits. And, and I use like a really simplified example there just because it is like stop showing people the same thing, you know, actually show the points of difference, your learnings and the things that you think can actually benefit the people that you want to work with. And then finally, I think um, hobbies and interests are really important. So I think a lot of people are told not to include them. And I think if you've got a CV that is overflowing, then yes, they're probably the first thing to get bumped because they're, you know, probably least important. But if you want to fill the last bit of your CV or if actually your hobbies and interests are of interest to your employer or the people that you're trying to impress, then absolutely include it. Because if you did uh, start a crowdfunder that raised £10 million overnight, I think that's quite important for me to hear about. Or if you started a, an international running club, then that tells me a lot about the fact that you're a project manager and you're a networker. So actually, like, tell me the stuff that I might go, that's really cool. And my hobbies and interests are but being humble and everything that comes with that of writing a book, running events, being a public speaker, if I didn't include those things, I would come across just like everyone else. So just don't waste that space um, because I really think that could actually be the different, the differentiating factor as to why you get employed or you don't. If you had identical CVs with someone else and they needed something just to tip one over, those hobbies and interests could be that. So just don't miss out on 
celebrating yourself in that in that way and in that area my cv's now got a hobbies and interests section yay well yeah. done <laughs> i think i've always had one but i've never really drawn too much attention to it so i'm going to look at my cv after this definitely do like and you know i think it all comes down to the individual and what you're comfortable with don't feel pressured to to either adopt new hobbies or make them up no. but don't forget the stuff you probably will have done in your life and you don't always have to be doing them right now they could have been things that you've done in the past but they could really help towards just painting a better picture of who you are which in a time when we're in such a virtual space and you know we aren't getting to meet people in person as as much as possible and that might have been the way that you would impress them then you've got to do everything and throwing everything that's important onto that cv so you've obviously talked about self-promotion so focusing on that what do you find to be the most common and differing fear I guess between women and men when it comes to self-promotion so I got asked this question live on tv on BBC World News I'd, I'd only started running foot being humble I think I was about three weeks into it and I got asked to be interviewed by the Times and um, Marissa Bate wrote an article that ended up being a double page spread in the newspaper, which we can talk about at another time because that was quite an interesting experience, never having media training. Uh, overall, it was positive, but there are a few things that in true Steph style, I, I definitely maybe wouldn't say again. But anyway, off the back of that, I then got a phone call from BBC World News. They said, we'd love you to come on and talk about foot being humble. And I was like, it's not even started. It's it's an Instagram account. It's it's. 12 pictures on Instagram, like, no, like, this is freaky. But at the same time, I was like, this is great press. And um, the interviewer was quite an intense person. It was also a man. Um, and he asked me, you know, why do you think men, are, do you think men are better than women? And, and why is it self-promotion? What's the differences? And I actually just said, I think that men are more confident in what they can do. Women are more honest. And it's not a critique of either sexes. I think... Um, there's lots of studies that show the confidence gap uh, shows that, you know, women will say in interviews, you know, they can do six out of 10 things, whereas men will say they can do 10 out of 10, whether they can or can't. So there's been studies over the years that have shown that. I think women have less, less confidence in blagging it, which is something that I really try and encourage people to do. One of my sayings is blag now, worry later really because you don't have to worry later because you probably do have it in you yeah. to go ahead and do it. You just have to give yourself that push. There are so many things that I've done in my career and in my life that I absolutely did not have the experience in. But as soon as you do it once, you can be like, yeah, I've done it. Like, for example, writing a book, probably won't do it again, but I can say oh, I'm an author now. So, you know, there's, there's yeah. things that we do. And I absolutely am petrified and I have imposter syndrome of people reading the book and all those things. But I think the difference is it's this, this theory around self having self belief, which is the idea that you can do something with or without the skills is what mm -hmm. more women need to adopt. Men are better at walking into rooms saying, yes, I can do it and figuring it out along the way and knowing that they can figure it out along the way. Women's immediate reaction are, I haven't got the, enough experience. I, I'm a fraud. I'm going to get caught out. There's so many different voices in our heads. You know, it, it all stems from systemic issues in society and the lack of, you know, equal pay, equal rights. There's so much stuff that backdates. But the reality is, I think for women, we have to, in a way, work doubly as hard because we are 
not only convincing ourselves, but we're having to convince everyone else. Whereas yeah. I think the men, they just have to kind of convince themselves they can do it because usually there's, there's always a seat at the table for men and there, there isn't as much of a, a fight to get their place. So one thing I do want to caveat though is I have actually really seen a warm response from men. So when I first started Foot Being Humble, I mean, I get trolled on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the worst place I get trolled for Foot Being Humble, which I'm thinking about contacting them and just letting them know that it's a problem. But I get so many white men here, like between 40 upwards or 40 to 50, uh, trolling me, uh, telling me everything's awful. I hope nobody falls for this drivel and all this thing like that awful awful stuff and if I share achievements like people start like hate comments on it I did a roundup at the end of last year where I was like I'm so proud to have written a book like done all this thing and I actually had a really tough time personally last year and it was a really it was a heavy heavy year and I achieved a lot and I was proud of sharing that but because I literally included foot being humble you know the brand name was everybody just like I, st- I had a, a woman actually start thread of comments and there was about 15 comments people telling me why being humble is more important why you succeed and they completely overlooked the point of the post which was just celebrating whether you agree with the statement put being humble or not there are so many people who post and share achievements and celebrations on LinkedIn and, and don't get hounded that way and I you know upsettingly I, I do and that's just one of those things that you kind of have to grow a thick skin on but I do think there is this, there's, there seems to be an enjoyment that men enjoy taking women down that are achieving. And I, and I don't know why it is. I don't know the reason for it. Uh, it sucks to be on the receiving end. Um, and I think that's partly why with Foot Being Humble, I will, you will always see me supporting and championing women over men because that's what I set out to do. But I kind of went on a bit of a circle there. But what I was actually going to say was as, as much as I get the male trolls, have a, a lot of men come to me and say, I'm so glad you created this because I didn't know any of this. The split is usually more women, but I'm, I'm really excited to see men embracing it, the ones that do, and inviting me on their podcasts and, you know, get, yeah. getting comfortable with it. And, and, you know, kind of not feel intimidated by a 28-year-old woman that is kind of questioning okay. status quo and that's doesn't that uh, just show you though with with that LinkedIn trolling that just shows you that there is a need for this like there is a need to talk about your achievements and to normalize celebrating yourself because if you get shot down you're like one of the main people doing it at the moment and if you're getting shot down then what hope is there for the rest of the people you know like it is I think like I think it's important for people like myself to tell my story of of getting trolled of having I shared a um, an article recently about a journalist who called me at the beginning of Foot Being Humble about four weeks into it and was like, "Hi, um, just wanted to let you know you're being we're going to feature you in our in our publication." I won't say the name, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing! Like they're well, really well respected." She was like, "Yeah, yeah, I get what you're going with it all, but um, we're disagreeing with everything you stand for," and I found myself like really justifying and like almost like trying to convince her and I could tell just halfway through the call she'd already made her mind up there was no way she was she wasn't asking for a comment she was literally asking to get details about me so she was like just to check you went to this university and how old are you and I was like I was 26 at the time and uh she checked all these facts and then when she wrote the article she didn't even use those facts she was like 
the 20 something claimed she learned this drivel at university and you know she went on to be like I mean the title was like why stuffy self no why self-promoters are not welcome in my inbox um I mean again and one of the things is this thick skin I think you know it's that whole thing on social media people only ever really see the good side of things and I, I do now that I kind of feel like the message is really landing and and it's having an incredibly important impact on people's lives that I can be a bit more open about the fact that I've absolutely felt um, intimidated and trolled and put down throughout this entire journey. And it hasn't been easy. And, you know, a big part of my learning is that, like, I went out with something very provocative. I, I don't think anybody has ever said this publicly, you know, for no. being humble. So, you know, as much as you have to accept that when you do stuff like this, you might get that backlash. Um, I think it's as much as accepting that those people's opinions aren't important and they're irrelevant. No, completely. Um, and if everybody was saying that, then I might, you know, be a little less um, confident with that statement, but that's not that. And a lot of the time it's people, and this is something I think is really important for everyone to hear and believe is that it's the people that don't engage with you that make those opinions. So none of those people had been to a workshop of mine. They'd not met me in person. They'd not interviewed me. You know, if, if they made all those assumptions based on a genuine interaction with me and feeling like I'd offered a bad service, then I'd take the feedback. Yes, yeah, but no. But it's not. So it's, it's just about letting those things kind of, they never do. It always stings, but it is kind of doing your best to not letting it limit or slow you down. If anything, no. I kind of let it use, use it to fuel me. As and ammunition, yeah, to prove them wrong. Yeah. yeah, fuck the haters. Oh my God. <laughs> if I could tell you the amount of fuck me or fuck being I've had, it's like fuck being sober, like <laughs> fuck being in lockdown. Like I, every, every, I think weekly somebody spins my brand name to something else. I really, I really enjoy it. So yeah, fuck the haters is one I've had a lot. <laughs> so I, you've mentioned your book a few times. Do you want to tell us about this? How did you come up with the idea? How did you go about it? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so just after the so the Times interview happened, then the BBC News interview happened, and then I was like, I actually need to start making some things that people believe in what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and then I got a phone call about doing a book from two or three publishers and a couple of agents, and I was like, I, I can't write a book. Like, I'm I'm not a writer. I would never class myself as a writer. I'm a public speaker. I'm like an entertainment queen. I'm a presenter. I'm used to call myself an atmosphere director at work like I um lots of other things but I would never have classed myself as a writer I wrote a blog at uni that was awful and I always make a joke about how bad it actually was but it really helped me to formulate opinions and I I think I can articulate opinions verbally and and now maybe in a written format but yeah when I first got the phone call I was like oh this is really nice but now I'm all right thanks I'm fine thank you and kind of put the phone down and, and I felt like, and I, again, I, I think this is something for people to really take note of for themselves is I wasn't ready to do that. And I needed to believe in myself and my idea before I could confidently, you know, take on writing a book. That's a huge thing. Really huge, yeah. So I ran my events between like September and December. And like the first event got like 40 people. The second was 60 and then my event in January, 160 came and it, it just almost like tripled in capacity. I can't pay, I don't have any paid advertising because Instagram blocks me for swearing. So all of that was organic. I mean, 
the irony that I can't self-promote, I can't do advertising my own brand when it's about self-promotion is hilarious. But yeah, so I was really, um, uh, really happily uh, uh, proud and, and content with the fact that for being humble was growing really organically and and I was starting to get messages about people you know asking for promotions and getting them or you know getting more money or uh, starting their own side hustles and I was like shit this is really working like this is actually working which is amazing and it was an amazing feeling so I got back in touch with the publishers and there was one agent in particular who I absolutely love Kate who were just I just felt like I really hit it off with her and I was like, okay, so let's hypothetically, let's say we do this. What's the steps? And she was like, well, you have to write the first two chapters and then you need to write a proposal on why you deserve a book, uh, which is, you know, awfully hard. Uh, and I did it. I had six weeks to turn it around, which was tight. I was working a full-time job and anyone who works in the creative industries, particularly advertising, knows how intense it can be. And I sent off the proposal and then I went on holiday to Thailand for like two weeks. I remember sitting there, like checking my emails every day, like not actually having a break. And it took a while. It was a bit bit slow, but I think it was just like things were going on in the book world that, and I I was expecting it to happen immediately. And and then we got four, there ended up being a bidding war. So there was four people that wanted the book uh, and they kind of bid off each other. And it's quite exciting. It's a, uh, it's a bit like, I don't know, like an antiques show bidding. <laughs> um, someone's calling one agent saying, we want that for this and, and vice versa. And then they were like, wow. let's go. So I had between May 2019 and to December. So eight months to write the book, which is an extremely tight turnaround. And again, I was still working full time. So I think that's something that as I take a step back now, God knows how I did it because I was so when I think how busy I am now I don't know how I did it because I've gone freelance now and I am self-employed and I'm running for being humble full-time so I'd work every Saturday writing the book uh, and and I'd work in my evenings but Saturdays were like my day where I'd I'd go and write and sometimes it's hard because you would have writer's block and particularly as someone who's never written a book or you know, I would never, I, I did a post about it recently say that I was, I've been publicly celebrated for writing a book. So not only are you trying to come up with the content, piece it together as a story, I was trying to convince myself that I could do it the entire way through. So it took a, a heavy dose of self-belief and, and confidence that I could, I could make it through. It's very much Bridget Jones meets um, career development meets, I don't know, it's very like, conversational it's very me there's irrelevant life stories of mine that I try and draw parallels on Mm -hmm. in the working world and it's trying to just make professional development less stuffy and boring um I read a lot of self-help books Mm -hmm. and I always find the ones that tell you just really normal stories are the ones that land that message so I don't need to like tell you how to like lean in in meetings and like you know, I don't, I don't need to tell you the, the standard stuff that people say. I, I need to give you really relevant stories. So like one of my friends is a DJ and she came to me when she was first starting out and she'd been offered a prime slot at midnight. And she was like, I can't, I, I could DJ at 11, but I can't DJ at midnight. And I was like, why? That's <laughs> different. She's like, what? And I, I've only been DJing a few months and blah, blah. And I was like, but it's the same thing. And it's this whole thing back to the female male thing of she was convinced because she'd not earned her place. She couldn't do that spot. She couldn't do it. And I was like, first of all, everyone's going to be a bit drunker. Second of all, let's go with it and just like embrace it. And she did. And amazingly, because of her networking and, you know, she went on to DJ for like the Ministry of Sound and some really ASOS and some really big brands. 
with no prior training, no experience, nobody teaching her how to do it, just a lot of hustle. So yeah, the book's kind of peppered with stories like that, just really relatable women and anecdotes and, and experiences that I've been through, but also that other people have been through. And I really excitingly also interviewed eight industry leaders. So eight women that I think have smashed it. So you've got like the founders of The Other Box, you've got um, Shannon Peters, the beauty editor at The Stylist Mag, um, lots of different people that have inspired my journey. And absolutely, when I saw their work and the stuff they do, it helped me start being humble. So I kind of wanted to pay a tribute back to them and involve them in the process and be like, you helped inspire me to do this. Now I want to help share your stories and not that they need my help, but you know, you shine a light on their stories because they, they were so influential to me at the time. So that's at the end of every chapter is an interview with them, which is really nice. And and again, annoyingly, like there was so much that was discussed where you got to compress it down into right. a few pages. Yeah. So yeah, the book covers everything from how to talk about yourself, uh, how to know your self-worth, how to ask for more money, how to use emotional intelligence in the workplace to advance your career. That ended up being one of my longest chapters, which was clearly just... I was going to say, yeah. I think a lot of people need that. <laughs> yeah, like seven years of me offloading my entire like experience of people that were absolute like dicks to work with. And, and also, like you know, just like my own issues that I had to overcome, whether it's like adapting or confidence or whatever it is that we all experience. And then also just a section on why I think failures make you funny and we shouldn't hide behind them and carry this shame. I know um, Elizabeth Day's done a, a brilliant job at, talking about how to fail I always felt like there's still a little bit of like embarrassment or shame that people when they're talking about it and my personality is very much to to laugh at myself and to use those stories as relationship builders so for me rather than merely looking at a failure and going yes I failed and admitting to it it's actually going how can you take your failure and laugh at it and let that be a thing that you sell yourself with as opposed to it being really reflected on the negative sides of it? Okay, I want to ask you because I've seen that you've launched a more than a grad program. And I want to ask you about this because I think if I was a grad this year, I would be all over this because this sounds amazing. Yes, yeah, so and more than a grad was born out of the fact that I really really struggled seeing the news and reading the news that grad opportunities were getting cut left right and center it's difficult enough seeing that job opportunities uh, are being cut for people who are skilled and have had years experience but I was like what does this actually mean for rising talent like what does are they are they just going to get lost are they do they have to move back in with their parents like will they even get internships like what is the impact that it's going to have and I as I said throughout this podcast, you know, I've I was I've always been about champion championing emerging talent, and I will always try and do that. And it's not that I won't, you know, celebrate people who are older, but you know, I I looked at them as an audience, and they are a big audience for me. Um, I've if you probably always resonated a bit more with millennials because of like my '90s throwback and my gifts and memes that I put out. <laughs> but but generally the message of foot being humble definitely sits with um gen z and and students that are coming through uh and most importantly because actually a lot of if we can help students 
as they leave uni, as they are about to go in that world. Probably worth noting as well that from my own personal perspective, you know, the pandemic did force me to look at what I offer as, as services and how for ages I'd only ever been running, you know, an hour webinar, 10 to 15 quid a ticket. But I wanted to look at how can I start changing my business model? How can I start offering courses? How can I start pushing myself? And I saw a blog recently about the silver linings of the pandemic and, and every week they do that. And whilst it's difficult to see when you're in it, as I take a step back now, there, I, I've come up with loads more products since I've been in lockdown and I've, I've done so much more stuff and I think I'm helping more people and accessing myself and my skills to more people, which, you know, is, is all about growing and business and being an entrepreneur and, and figuring out uh, how you're going to pay your bills and all those things that we all go through. So I'm actually, it's one of those things where it's like, I hate to say it, but I'm grateful the pandemic pandemic happened and hit the students in this way. Cause I might not have ever taken myself out of the bubble yeah. of just supporting millennials and, and seeing actually who else is in, is in need right now. And I think that's something that I encourage a lot of people that I ha- help with business coaching or advice with growing their own ideas is, really looking at what the needs if you open up a newspaper tomorrow there are so many problems that need solving so when you say i don't know what i don't have any ideas or i don't know what to do it's like there are so many things out there that need need helping and for me the the graduate thing really struck a chord with personal experiences and and how i just didn't want to let any amazing talent like slip through the net or go unnoticed and you know what it's bad enough as a graduate anyway because you're just spat out all you've ever known is this education system and you've always had this like comfort blanket and you're just spat out into the real world and you're like which way is up you know you probably move in you don't really know what's going on and then to be doing this in the middle of a pandemic and also just like it's so shit for everyone that's like losing freshers week and didn't get to have a graduation party and you know like even the social aspects that students will lose out on and and it's that lack of control and I think what more than a grad did and has done for a lot of people is is to regain that control and for them to feel like actually I can take uh charge of of my career and I don't need to wait around for a business to decide when they're ready to hire me yeah and I'm going to show them what I've got to bring to them Final question then. You mentioned before about how you read a lot of self-help books or like self-promotion books, but we ask everyone, which book would you recommend and which podcast would you recommend? Oh, great question. So I'll give you two recommends on the books. Dave Trott's One Plus One Equals Three is one of my favourites and I always promote it because he his well first of all his stories are one page each so it's a very easy read um and you can pick it up and not have to concentrate too much uh it's very literally like one line sentences and it's so easy to digest if you're not like I'm not a heavy reader in terms of like you know I blitz through books in two days like I wish but he tells stories like you know there was there were some people that wanted to challenge the way that food critics uh, analysed food. So they they went and bought McDonald's burgers and chopped them up into small pieces, put toothpicks through them, presented them to the food critics and said, what do you think? And they were like, this is the best meat we've ever tried. And it was just like such an amazing example of how when you repackage things, you can change the perception of things. And he just, he's incredible. And his blog's really good as well. And then... Oh, it's tricky to choose. Um, I love uh, Creative Confidence, uh, a similar book in a way 
it's lots of different stories about you know why do we eat ramen the way we do and if we were going to change the ramen eating experience what would it be like and they they set briefs so um it's the founder of ideo and brother wrote the book and they run a school at a university in america where it's almost like extracurricular and they set them these briefs and they have to come up with ideas and they have to work with people. I, I think it's quite common what I like, but it's those stories that I think, oh my God, that's really opened my mind to think about that or change, just changing the way you approach creative storytelling. They're both really great books about that. I always say that self-promotion is, is all about storytelling. We have to change this like, oh, I don't do self-promotion and be like, okay, actually I'm, I'm just a storyteller. And then podcast wise, it might be a bit boring, a bit basic. I don't know if everybody already loves it and has already listens to it, but I love Guy Raz's How I Built This. It's the one podcast that I can go to and it's just guaranteed. It's going to be a great interview. It's going to be really insightful. There were a few that stood out to me, like Bumbles was amazing. Dyson was really good. Which of the ones did I love? Interestingly, although WeWork has come out to not be so great, there was yeah. a really interesting interview with one of the WeWork founders about a time where he wanted to get a job in New York, but was living in the, on the other side of the States, I think somewhere a good, like six, six hours away. So he used his friend's New York address to get the job, got the job. And they said, you need to start in two days. So he had to move across the country and start the job. And I think it's for me, I'm always looking for those pockets of inspiration of like, sure he might have ended up embezzling a lot of money and it might not have gone to plan at the end of it but that story was actually really amazing to hear because I think there's so many times where we let particularly locations but lots of other things be a barrier for us not to apply for things and not to do things when actually it's that blag now or relater mentality that I talked about at the beginning which was you know he blagged it and he was like look if I, if I get the job I'm gonna have to worry about it and then he got it and then he did it and then went on to have a good career so I, everyone always laughs at me that I struggle to switch off in that way because I, I like listening to things where I gain value from it um, mm. whether that's reading or listening I, I love listening to books audibly as well because mm. when I'm on the go and I am and I sometimes I'm I don't always have like a commute where I can sit down and read so it's really helpful for me to just to like listen to things I can dip in and out of. But yeah, it's usually always things that I feel teach me something about either growing a business or who I am as a person. I think another really amazing book that I have is the 20 key skills for emotional intelligence in the workplace. And that's by the school of life. Um, and it's such an amazing book because it just talks about every different emotion how you manage it, what you do. And it definitely inspired my chapter in the book about emotional intelligence, because when we don't learn how to use emotional intelligence, when we don't invest in it, our careers are difficult. And I've learned having to be quite a people person and manage people externally and internally, the sooner you learn how to kind of work people, the easier your life becomes. Yeah. And the sooner you know how to spot your own emotions, their emotions, so that there's anything the school of life is is amazing they're always a great series of books so yeah I mean my list could go on I've got tons of books I've seen Rachel taking notes there so <laughs> I was like hanging on every word there I was like wow <laughs> at the end of my presentations I always share the books that I used um to write the talks or to like that have inspired me in my career because I do think it's so important to like let on that 
like where you get your information where you get your inspiration from I think it's important to learn from each other rather than rivaling each other so sharing these little pockets of books or podcasts or information I think is amazing Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Steph. No worries. Uh, honestly, even over Zoom, your like energy is contagious. I know. I'm <laughs> hanging on every word. Yeah. <laughs> I have not much to say because I'm just in awe. Thank you. Well, need to catch up. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the She Loves podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're enjoying these conversations with these inspiring women, Be sure to share them with your friends, rate, review and subscribe wherever you are listening. If you've not already, check out our Instagram at Podcast and our website SheLovesPodcast.com. We're also very keen to hear your stories. So if you're interested in writing for us or just want to have a chat, email us at WeAreSheLoves at gmail.com.